Welcome to a brand new episode of Unlike a Lady, where every other week you will find me conversing with women from different phases of life, celebrating their life journeys as well as seeking inspiration from daily life situations and how they chose to defy the existing gender norms of the society to live life unlike a lady. If you're familiar with the field of architecture, it is likely that you would have heard the name of the guest joining us today. One of the first architects in the country to hold a PhD, an expert in cultural heritage working with UNESCO and having several research papers and heritage books to her name. We are truly honored to have with us architect Shikha Jain for today's episode. So let's dive in as we converse with her about her childhood, choosing architecture as a profession, some wonderful insights about cultural heritage, life as a female architect, and several other challenges that society throws our way in life. So let's get going. A very, very warm welcome, Ms. Shikha Jain. Thank you so much for being here with us on this podcast. Thank you, Devishi. I'm looking forward to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about you. How was it like growing up for you? I grew up in a middle class family. We were based in the city of Jaipur, which was, uh, of course, now that city has grown, but it was more like a small town that time and uh, I had uh, just my parents and uh, an elder brother so it was a small nuclear family that we grew in and um, going to school cycling with my school friends and it was an all-girls school so definitely had some uh, influence on my thinking but of course back home when I would be there it was uh, with my brother who was three years older and a male and there was always competition there. So, <laughs> so that's what I would call about my childhood. That's something completely natural with siblings, I suppose. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that definitely is. But uh, focusing on gender. So right. that's something as a child that always stayed in my mind. Like I always wanted to do whatever he was doing. Right. And uh, there were times, you know, when uh, I would get this uh, uh, statement from my father saying, or I, if I asked them, why can't I do this? You know, if he's having a bicycle, why can't I have it? And right, they would right. say, no, three years older to you. And then he's a male. So that really <laughs> disturbed me. <laughs> so, I'm sure. I'm sure. younger and being a female. So that was at times I would get to hear that. Right, was, right. Uh, bothered me a lot. So I think you kind of have this little bit of rebellion inside you that why, you know, why just because I'm a girl, I can't do the same things that probably my brother can. I think a lot of girls relate to this when they, the ones who are growing up with brothers. Yeah, it just connects on a very personal level. <laughs> so yeah, you know, even when I reached out to you and you have responded so beautifully and you've been so supporting whenever I shared my podcast with you in the recent times. And I kind of understood that, you know, this topic was something that did connect with you on a personal level. And alongside, of course, your professional journey, something that I've admired for several years. I've heard about your work for so long. And it was just, I was really excited. And you were one of the first people that were in my mind when I was 
starting with the concept of, of this podcast that I would love to have you here someday and share your incredible journey. <laughs> so yeah, really excited to know more. That's nice to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends, uh, professional uh, colleagues, you know, are into this gender specific issue and there have been uh, chances where, you know, I've given interviews just for where, where they are focusing on women architects. Right, specifically. Right. I've had several conversations and of course, I mean, being a woman, everyone faces certain uh, of these experiences throughout their lives. Surely, so absolutely. I was really happy to do at such a young age or, you know, venturing into this. <laughs> so that was really good. Thank you so much. So moving on, when coming on to talking about architecture, you know, what was the thought process as a kid when you were th- thinking about venturing into this field? Was it something spontaneous or was it something that you always wanted to do? So actually, it was quite spontaneous, you know, okay. it was uh, when I was a child and my father, like he would just, he started calling me doctor for whatever, reason, <laughs> uh, you know, so so it was grilled into my mind that, you know, I have to do medical. Okay. And then suddenly when I was in ninth standard, I thought, why am I doing, uh, you know, why am I getting into medical and do I need to look at something else? And I had discussions with uh, uh, my brother. So I started thinking that what do I really want to do? Uh, You know, since this was grilled into my mind that go into medical, I just felt, Hmm. no, I'm being forced to do that. Maybe I, and all my friends and colleagues were getting into that. So I just thought I, I... to do something different and I just switched my subject to mathematics and then everyone was concerned whether I'll be able Mm. to cope up with it whether I'll do whatever but I was then you know I switched on to saying I will go into engineering and I was actually and the entrance exams that I gave were for Pilani for the engineering college in Jaipur okay and there was this architecture, the SPA, School of Planning and Architecture entrance exam. So, uh, you know, uh, my mother said that you can also, you know, try this. And I thought, okay, why not? I didn't really prepare for it at all, you know, not at all. Coming to Delhi to give the exam, I thought I'll just take it as a shopping hmm. vacation and give the exam was an engineer. Okay. So I gave the exam and I forgot about it totally. <laughs> and then uh, it was just, you know, I got into both the engineering. Uh, okay. you know, and then I was, my fee was paid and I was just about to like, uh, Baba was about to take me into to Pilani mm-hmm. the next day when my brother just saw in the newspaper they they had for spa entrance exam they had uh, actually given categories and there was a uh, there used to be an allocated category for states with not which did not have an architecture hmm. college uh, which is uh, if you have a domicile certificate then you know you could do that so i wasn't even aware of that but since i was from okay. rajasthan they just had my name there he was he was right. doing his medical and he was in his college and he just read the newspaper and saw my name and he just came back okay. home and saying you know that she's got admitted in this thing and then I started thinking I said why did this happen maybe <laughs> you know it's like something I need to explore and I started checking on architecture thing and my father kept asking me what do you want to go there do you want to do this and then I quickly right. just looked at what architecture was and I realized that it's an unexplored, uh, you know, field. 
and it's something that i i just used to i like doing something different you know and i like to break from the norm and try some or, or be experimental because if i have achieved something i feel there's no challenge right. in that so that way architecture as a new field suddenly was very good for me and i was mm-hmm. happy and my father of course thought logistically he said no delhi okay we have relations there will be people taking care of you so <laughs> he sort of you know adjusted uh, you know all all his relations were uh, his brothers and sisters were in delhi okay it worked out well that i'm here so they were my parents were relieved that you know uh, there are enough people around in case i need them right so, so that's how i got it but i think whatever the circumstances may have been it turned out to be such an incredible decision because you are definitely breaking so many norms and doing so wonderful in this profession now so i feel it's really incredible the way things unraveled and led you to enter spa delhi yeah i never regret i'm sure that's great <laughs> so now having been in this profession for so many years and then how did you you know come out to choose cultural heritage as something that you wanted to specialize in so architecture schooling is about 5 years the bachelor's in architecture and you know first hmm. second third year you're still experimenting and learning about new things on how to do and you were being groomed to be a designer of uh, spaces and all so it's it's a very uh, learning experience hmm. and you get exposed to so many factors and of course uh, your peer group and your seniors influence your mind a lot Definitely. so i used to have some of my seniors who i used to dialogue with and slowly i started uh, getting inclined towards such seniors who were, who were looking at vernacular or sustainable architecture or historic spaces and by uh, okay. third and fourth year i was very sure that you know this is something i want to focus on and uh, that's how i took my topic uh, in the dissertation in fourth year which was avelis uh, of shekhawati so i was uh, you know which was again a topic nobody had really explored the havelis so much and they were just you know for me it was really getting down to ground and looking at all the havelis and it turned out to be a very good dissertation and it got you know the highest marks that time so i was really happy and now totally you know dedicated to looking at historic architecture and being from jaipur and rajasthan that became like my area for selecting the topics and works so again for during the thesis again i selected one of the areas in jaipur for revitalization and i sort of just continued that was a track i followed and i just uh, kept loving more and more the more cultural heritage i saw each site i saw really excited me you know to work on these things so so that's the mm. biggest pleasure for me i mean i you know now even after getting the degrees and getting into practice uh, whichever project i work on it doesn't feel like work because just you know going to a new site seeing a new place it's just so exciting and you want to do things there so the work is like it's real pleasure and that's what i wanted in fact in architecture that's what uh, one is taught you know that you should do it as a hobby not as a profession so i've been quite happy about it and even uh, when i was in fourth year like it, during the dissertation uh, work i remember we used to because sp is in delhi the ito hostel we were staying in and um, every weekend we would be going to hmm. cannot place in janpat for our shopping and eating out 
Yeah. And I recall I used to walk to, uh, on this lane, you know, and I would see this bookshop right in front of me. And on the book, in the bookshop, you know, on the, on display, there was this book, Haveli's by V.S. Parmar. He had written a book on Haveli. Right. And I would just, every hmm. time I walked, like I, you know, when the book had recently come and I would see it and I would just look at it. That's what I want. My book on Haveli's of Rajasthan on a, you know, so finally, that's what later I did with my PhD. And that's uh, the Havelis of Rajasthan, which was my first published book. Wow. <laughs> wow. So letting the listeners know that Ms. Shikajan has done incredible work and in different, different and so many more fields. She's represented herself at International World Heritage UNESCO meetings. She's done implementation for more than 50 conservation and museum projects across the country. And like she's mentioned, along with all of this practical aspect of architecture, she's written and edited so many books. She's done so much research work and it's just incredible. The more and more you keep getting to know about her work, the more inspiring it is. It's just really wonderful to now get to know all of this from the women herself. (laughs) So moving on, talking about architecture for a layman, I would just like to ask this question. I would love to get a brief understanding. You know, when we talk about cultural heritage, there's so many monuments, there's so many historic sites. How is, you know, the label of a heritage site attributed to a particular monument or, you know, any site for that matter? So in very simple terms, if I just think of an example from the top of my head, why is Taj Mahal considered a wonder of the world and not the Red Fort? You know, something that I think of as a layman. So how could you, you know, just explain that a bit to us? So, yeah, I mean, that, of course, can take hours and hours of explanation, but I would like to I'm make sure. very, very, very brief. Um, you know, it, it is, uh, what is heritage? It's something that you value, you know. Right. So, so what it is basically, even when we are looking at heritage or defining why this would be heritage, you know, why a particular house next door is not heritage, but the Haveli there is heritage. So you look at whether, whether it has value and then value for who? It is the community around, right? So right. it could be the community hmm. which is just around the you know, around the area. If there's a temple, there are, you know, few families around the area. They feel that this temple is like 100 years old and they're associated with their families and community then it's heritage for them but uh, at the national level right. or at the international level it may not have any value still it has a local value as heritage and if you say if you think of a place like Taj hmm. which you know several people communities have visited nationally right. you know and when the British came they recognized as a unique masterpiece they studied its architecture proportion everything and then the larger global community who's ever has visited finds it like one of the greatest wonder because of its proportions artistic details so it's got value it's got architectural value it's got artistic value it's got a community associative value because you know it's still like you have prayers held there on friday it's closed so so they you know the more values are that are associated with a site or a particular building uh enhances its value as a heritage and which could be heritage at local level state level national level or international level so there is a large global community that accepted taj as uh, something very unique and that's why you see it being talked about right. more. Red Fort, of course, is also unique and it is a world-headed site. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, and there are a lot of values it has. 
but what they say like in world heritage taj is something like an architectural masterpiece so there there may be an extra mm-hmm. one or two value because of which it gets a higher uh, rating i would say right 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 <laughs> i think something that just you know hit me right now when we, you were ta- telling me all this something that is developing in today's time is the concept of portable houses as well right there was i think a movie also recently of arjun kapoor i think i just saw it last month about the house that was being completely transferred from one location to another do you see that happening in the future what do you think yeah, about that yeah uh, i think that's a great idea but again i mean we look at our historic traditions you'll find it somewhere i just recently visited chen uh, the chennai and there's this muse- uh, museum mm. you know on um, uh, dakshina chitra it's called dakshina chitra and it showcases houses from various tribes in uh, southern india and i saw this house which was okay. a fisherman's house and it's like a it has like big bamboo you know uh, conical roofs i mean it's really right, humongous right. roof coming yeah. and you just see a very small base where you can enter and then i was told that what it why the fishermen used to design that house because if there is flooding it used to be near the coast now if there is flooding they just invert yeah. the roof they put all the house belongings in that roof and they sail off in that house and they can actually so <laughs> okay. um, look at this it's yeah. it's a house design which actually looks at disaster management or you know which are things which today so right. so the flexible portable yeah. thing is very much uh there even our traditional system and i think even today it's like the prefabricated houses are probably more sustainable you know than having and especially hmm. for seismic zones where you have heavy earthquakes or flooding it's, it's very important Definitely. to use this kind of uh, technology very nice very interesting <laughs> okay so now moving in a little different direction i would love for you to let our, our listeners know any book that you would like to share and people who are not directly into architecture but they could go and check it out if it's available so one of my most recent book that's been released and that is for the general public because uh, there was no no book on the unesco world heritage sites of india till now right and so this a book that is released by unesco and mapin uh, together mapin publishers uh which is called incredible treasures which records all the world heritage sites of india and it doesn't get into the technical details but it's more visual like a coffee table book okay book so which really highlight what is unique about taj and red fort or kanchenjunga national park or you know about the most beautiful sites of india that's really interesting i'm sure people would love to read and i would definitely make sure that i attach the link of this particular book and then they can go and have a look at the book and place their orders sure. if they'd like to <laughs> great so now moving on to the gender aspect with this particular profession because that's what our podcast is kind of uh, facing towards so you, you know with a gender bias across so many spheres of life even your profession is something that would have gender struggles of its own so is there any incident you'd like to share in the sense that you know underestimation by workers on site because you're working with them face to face or even underestimation by any clients during all these years in your profession yeah uh, definitely i think that underestimation is always there and in fact it is even i would say you know even much before it it's you feel it with the clients and others sometimes it's sort of ingrained in you because yeah. you are part of 
of a society, you know, and you've grown in certain environment. So I remember like immediately, like after our uh, marriage, uh, you know, we, we, my uh, husband, who's also a fellow architect from the same batch, we, I was designing my first house and this was like my own client, you know, and a lady client actually. So it was good to, you know, she was actually getting her house constructed. I designed the entire thing. And then for the, the contractor marked it on site. And then she called me. She said, can you come and check the thing? So I just, you know, I asked my husband, I said, can you visit the site and check? Okay. And he just looked at me. He said, it's your site. You go and check it. And I realized that I was just, you know, underestimating myself. I mean, it's mine. Like, it's hmm. not, I have to deal with the contractors, whoever, uh, whoever is on site. And then I realized that even though the contractor, whoever, it would be a male contractor. And initially they would look at you thinking you don't know anything because just you are a, you are a female on site, which more, a lot of my fellow architects, female architects have hmm. experience. So that is the first step. To actually right. connect with the contractor who's talking a certain language. And the best way to do is once you pick up the language and you talk to them in their language, they realize, okay, this person has knowledge, you know, she, it's not just like uh, somebody yeah. telling yeah. you talk yeah. down. So that was the first challenge, yeah. I would say. And then, of course, there are others, similar kinds at various levels that one comes through. I mean, when I was being interviewed uh, yeah. uh, for a professorship, I remember I was into teaching uh, for some time, full-time teaching. So that time I felt there were too many hmm. men who were interviewing me. In fact, there was not a single female, which is not correct today. It would not be allowed. This was years back. Definitely. And then I realized after I got out of the interview, I realized that none of them really had a PhD. I was one of the first few, you know, architects to have PhD because it was very rare. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I realized that all of wow. those who were interviewing me didn't have PhD and the addition of getting a doctorate in uh, to, to qualify for a professor was a recent addition, which these people were actually not liking because it was imposed at a later stage. And I realized that they really had no, okay. you know, way to judge me. But, uh, but and, and they were all men. Mm. So there was a certain, yeah. you know, um, sort of uh, unrest in their mind that how can they allow professorship to a younger woman, you know, just because she has a PhD. <laughs> so those are the kind of experiences, oh I God. think, they, which, which remain in my mind when I feel. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then there was a third one where I was at a conference and this was more recent. But I realized like, and, and it happens a lot of time in meetings and all where I see, okay, I'm the only female here. So it this was a conference I realized mm-hmm. and everybody was speaking, but amongst that, I was the last speaker. Okay. So I just noticed that nobody has, you know, paid attention to the fact that I'm the last speaker and I'm the only female yeah. in this series. And when I started speaking, I said, you know, I had heard about ladies first, but you know, here I see <laughs> it's very important to take a stand so yeah you just need to yeah. be present so out since there. then I'm very particular you know any of these webinars or any conference I see because since I work with UNESCO and they're hmm. very uh, concerned about gender balance 
So even when I was writing this book that I'm talking about, yeah. uh, the UNESCO director was very particular that all the authors and contributors are balanced, like they're equal men and women. In the, if there is a peer review, they have to be equal okay. men and women because it gives you a balanced approach. So I'm not hmm. really a feminist. Yeah, I would not say all women. I would say there should always be a balance. I think even feminism is about equality only, maintaining that balance because we still struggle to reach the point where there is a balance you know the way you're telling me that men actually somewhere get uncomfortable by seeing that how is the women there in a place where they're so used to having just men around so i read this stat which was like so surprising to me in today's date in a group of people if there are only 17 percent women in that group men actually assume psychologically that women are representing you know, half the representation in that group. And if women are 33%, which is, you know, the amount that we generally reserve for women in various fairs, 33% ho jai, to men start feeling that women are there in majority. So that is the psychological approach that there is. In general with society, they just feel that even 33% women are more than enough for representation. So I think that is where the thinking is still very wrong. And that's where it needs to get corrected and, you know, Still a long way to go, very long way. They're just too powerful and dominating. So just 33% amounts to that. (laughs) But that definitely needs to change. They should be powerful enough to dominate with that 33. But the fact that they consider 33 to be majority in itself, it's not. So (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Okay. So uh, moving on a, a little towards your personal life. So, you know, I feel that our society is okay with women being career oriented as long as they are family oriented as well, right? Whereas that is not the same case for men in our society. So have you ever, you know, faced any societal pressure or stereotype because of the fact that you don't have biological children? Is there anything in that front that you would like to share with us? So I think definitely from which society, you know, it could be even my female friends, or it could be, you know, relations, family, but thankfully not from my immediate family, like my parents, my in-laws and Hmm. my husband, they never made me feel that. But uh, the the others in the society always, uh, you know, of course, there was always pressure, you know, that I mean, that's how you become complete only when you become a mother or, you know, so those kind of things are always there. But of course, there's always a balance on the other side, like I had friends who did not also have kids and, Mm -hmm. and it's not something that we planned, but it just happened. We did not have, we tried, we did not have. I talked to my parents, I talked to my in-laws about, you know, should we go for adoption? I talked to my husband and all of them, I was okay for adopting, but all of them said, no, there's no need. I mean, unless you really feel this. And then I realized that, no, I mean, for me to feel complete, I have so many other things. I have my, you know, nieces and nephews and, you know, there's so, you have energy and you can channelize it in in any manner, my career. Definitely. So I didn't really feel, uh, you know, much uh, about that. I could adjust it to it quite uh, soon. Mm. But yeah, there was a phase in my life where I was disturbed by this fact for sure. And uh, mm. the society pressure did, uh, you know, take place. But thankfully, mm. it didn't matter so much and I got out of it. So mm, That's great. So it's not something that, you know, society just makes us feel that it's something that does completely. But it really is not it's based on your own personal energy and how you feel like you said yeah so 
it's just that that support is so important for you to get that confidence because like you said that you did consider adopting but till the time i think you're not yourself sure because it's such an important it's such a major major decision of your life right just because we think that maybe that's something will that will complete us i think that's yeah, yeah just the pressure not, that yeah i think it's not so much i mean i'm happy giving life to somebody you know like just no, no definitely you know? yeah but right. uh, but it has to be accepted by the family by everyone like my yeah. my husband so i felt it will not be right you know so i a lot mm-hmm. of my friends have adopted and it's really nice to see that we now have Definitely. a you know we have a, a dog which we feel like is like our child <laughs> so, so you yes, know no. yes so, yeah. so i yeah. mean it was, and i feel like it was there in my mind that okay maybe when i get older i will work more with school children awareness on okay. heritage and things so that's in my mind or maybe just write books for children so whenever i feel like i can just and we do do we do programs with school children a lot of times so yes. i just think if anyone has any time one has the urge there are so many uh, avenues you know to look at definitely yeah <laughs> that is your way of getting that kind of connect with, through the profession and through the value that you're offering so that's wonderful in its own way really great okay so um you know i would like to sh- uh, like you to share if there's any moment that you can recall in this sense is there any one particular you know moment where you felt really frustrated because you were told to do something a certain way just because you're a lady something society does very commonly definitely i mean there were times uh, when you know there would be like i said i mean not directly pressure from my parents or uh, um in-laws or anyone nearby but uh, yeah cousins or some others where i would just get a pressure to i should be in kitchen and cooking and this okay. cooking is not my favorite that is something thing. we've seen very commonly a lot of other guests have also shared this particular thing cooking yeah, yeah. so so that really bugs me you know like um, yeah cooking or making rotis and in fact i used to think who is the person who invented rotis i really want <laughs> <laughs> because that, that those are the things like i really thought and now of course i'm out of it but there was a time hmm. when you're newly married and you're expected to do certain things and especially yeah, when yeah. you know guests come and guests like who are not so near relatives but still you have to be formal so those right, are the right, right. Of, uh, that's the kind of pressures i realized was not something i enjoyed and thankfully i'm out of it now so <laughs> perfect great so i don't know why you know after marriage it's only the women the man will not be expected to go and do the same in the kitchen if they do True. do that they're appreciated for that that look the man in the house is helping out that's such a great thing so i don't know if it is if it is just in our society and more with the indian men because i remember visiting my uh, friend who is also an architect and her husband also is an austrian and we okay. i just went to london and to with the, uh, and was meeting her after a number of years and mm. the moment i entered she was like talking chatting we had so much to catch on and her austrian yes. husband like cooked he laid the table and then he just invited me to us so i came back yeah. and i told my husband i said that will be the day you know <laughs> like i want <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
but but my husband now like he does a lot of cooking a lot of times and and it's there mm. with all couples in india i see the newly you know the young couples yeah. so that was a yeah. generation i think it changed with us and now the newer ones are even more understanding so there's quite a good balance where uh, you don't think that cooking is just uh, women and just uh, you know work mm. is so, so i think yeah. now the society has changed quite a lot yeah so thankfully mm-hmm. So it feels like you know a big thing where you can go and chat with your female friends because in general whenever you go and meet someone the ladies are more you know they just go and get involved with the work and serving everyone food and all that so yeah really glad that with the coming generations that idea is finally going away out of our heads yeah i think it it was with our generation and that way your childhood memories and they also help a lot because i know i mean you're my mother true, true. was was working equally yeah. as my father both of them were in the services you know um, yes. administrative services but i would still see my mother like checking whether the food is there and then you know so so she was doing all the kitchen management work or cooking also and then doing the work and of course yeah. there was a balance because my father was managing all other things finances banks accounts so there was a balance but every time like as a child i used to think if i start working i'm not doing this you know i'm not doing dual work and i see it in yeah, lot of yeah. my generation like because they've seen their mothers doing extra work you know yeah, were, yeah. Were, that's so. exactly how i have been thinking growing up as a kid as well yeah so <laughs> okay so moving towards the end one question that i would really want to ask you since our podcast is called unlike a lady what does it mean for you to be unlike a lady so for me it means i mean just doing everything against the norm of what a lady should yeah. do or is expected yeah. to do <laughs> i mean driving at night time throughout yeah. going you know from one place to another which i've done when i was in the us so i just did 14 hours of continuous driving from one town to the other okay. that's probably a, you know Uh, the kind of uh, things that you could at that time you could only do in us but today it is also possible in india so mm-hmm. so those, i mean just flouting the norms and doing yeah. what any man can do also you know without yeah. restriction of yeah. time or uh, space or or dress or whatever you would call it. right in all aspects yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> It was such such a pleasure to have you. I had a truly wonderful time. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your experiences, your learnings. I think we just learned so much along the way and we had such a good time interacting and chatting with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks Devishi. It was a real pleasure and I enjoyed going through old times and all my you know <laughs> past to tell you about these stories. So thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you so much. So all of you you can definitely go check out I'll be writing in depth about Mr. Kajan's work in the description and attaching her social media handles and all the aspects in which you could connect with her and have a look at all the wonderful work she's done over the years and continues to do. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. that was none other than architect shikha jain for you all don't forget to go check out the book that she's recommended i've linked it in the description below and also today in addition to this lovely conversation that we've just completed 
We also have an exclusive interview with Ms. Shikha Jain, which is actually an extension of this conversation, where she'll be addressing the questions of a current architecture student at SPA Delhi. Highly recommend this discussion for those who are venturing into the field of architecture or have been working in this field already, because her experience and her learnings are truly valuable. So all you need to do to get access to this interview is to go sign up through the Google form that I've attached in the link below. And we'll be sharing the link of the interview with you in your inbox shortly. Also, if you like the episode, don't forget to leave us a review on our social media handles. All the links are in the description. See you in the next episode.